welcome to the second episode of I Am The Night, the Batman animated series retrospect review and podcast. With me, as always, is my son and fellow DC Comics News and Dark Knight News writer, Adam. Hello, mate. How are you? Hello there. It's great to be back talking more bats. Oh, yes. We have gone completely batty. And um, so has this episode, because... How different is Christmas with the Joker to On Leather Wings? Episode 2 is arguably more important than episode 1 because it's one thing to set a stage, it's another thing to maintain it. The first episode of this series set us on a really strong precedent of we are here with a gritty, realised, self-contained Batman. There was next to none of that grit or overall darkness here, which is... It's all what you'd expect for the tone of the episode, but it's yeah. still a, sort of a shock to watch them side by side, because we watched the episodes almost within the back same space, almost within back to back. So seeing them next to each other, it was a stark contrast that wasn't disconcerting, but was a little eyebrow raisy. I would say. I would definitely agree, because the first one was all dark and textured and layered and film noir and 1940s, and this one was like almost... A leap right back into 20th century animation, clean cut lines, brighter colours. But what they do share is they both adapt classic characters. And this one actually adapts to an extent. I don't know if I've got this exactly right, so do correct me, listeners, if I'm wrong. But this is like a lovely, loose adaptation of the old um, Len Wayne, Walt Simonson, dreadful birthday dear Batman, where again the Joker captures a an audience and Batman has to save them and I think I might be remembering it wrong but it's very reminiscent of that and I was also surprised because we talked about this in the last episode that we know that they changed Alfred's during the course of this run um, but I always thought that Tim Curry who was originally cast as Joker recorded a couple of episodes but this is the first Joker story and that's definitely Mark Hamill so so in the credits and you can tell them apart anyway but also, um, he nails it straight off the bat. And this wasn't the same order. I remember watching them in when they were first on, was it? I, f- I must admit, it's been a very long time since I ever saw these on their original broadcast. And I would have been very young at the time and wouldn't really remember them. My girlfriend, bless her, said that when I started this podcast, she remembers this show as something that used to scare her when she was little. Oh, wow. Yeah, it did, bless her. So, no, that's totally normal, it's totally natural, it's just based on the tone and the actual darkness of it, because you understand she draws, she knows how dark visually yeah. this whole show looks. Not necessarily this episode, but that's to be discussed. Well, that the first episode, we even discussed it, that first episode could be scary for the younger kids, absolutely. Yeah, and that's why I think yeah. that she was frightened, bless her, but this departure despite it being immediate, is very brave, and I really respect them. But as for the like running order, as you just discussed, mm. I feel like it would be very natural for the showrunners and the broadcasters or whoever, the powers that be, to pull this episode out of the running order mm-hmm. and put it on December. Like Christmas, yeah. Yeah, because it's a Christmas episode. And that's why I can really forgive it compared to the first episode. The tone is so much lighter because it's the Christmas episode. Yeah. So you can get have a bit of leeway in saying oh this is just us swashbuckling go go to fight the joker before yeah. he kills a bunch of people and destroys destroys the city yeah. but it's all at christmas so it's all snowy and a little bit jokey yeah that's the impression i got too because maybe when it first aired in america 
because uh, listeners, I don't know if you've noticed or not, we're British. Very. Extremely, yes, sir. Um, it, was, it was an autumn season, so perhaps it aired and second episode fell at Christmas. Whereas here in the UK, um, this was a show that, if memory serves, aired over summer vacation, summer holidays for the children to watch. The, the prime time, I would say. So they probably moved this episode to Christmas um, for UK audiences, which is why I remember seeing it at Christmas and not directly after On Leather Wings, because I do remember several dark episodes in a row. So this was a, a nice but completely different departure. Totally. I'm just... It's very... Would you say that the actual creative team made them in the order they intended? In this order? Well, they... yes, because of Clive Revel as, as Alfred. Um, because we know he only recorded the first three episodes. Yes. And this is still Clive Revel. And for listeners, um, you're going to learn the extent of my extreme nerdiness now. Um, I've gone on back and researched Clive Revel, who's a very long-respected actor in the UK, been around for decades and decades, theatre, stage and screen. But I didn't know that he's actually been two iconic characters, two favourites of mine, not just Alfred. He was also the original Emperor in the theatrical version of The Empire Strikes Back, which I still have, but is rare as gold these days, before he was replaced by Ian McDermott, who, just like um, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., who took over as Alfred, both those actors made that role their own. I think the key difference here between Batman and Star Wars is that... um... The initial performances of Alfred set a tone that Zemblis was able to fill really well, but mm. we can still respect oh, absolutely. his performance. Well, well, unlike George Lucas insisting that everything must be to his glorious vision before he <laughs> before he sold his baby away to Disney. But we're not here. To, we're not here for that. No. We are not here for that. Indeed, we are here to ask you ask an interesting question because you were really surprised in episode one, and I was as well. And I had to agree with you on this because I feel like we're on. Similar wavelengths as it is. We were really surprised at the early and key meetings we got in episode one. Mm -hmm. We saw oh, yeah. we saw the established relationships between Batman and Alfred. We saw a Gotham that yes. knew of Batman but wasn't sure what his deal was. Mm -hmm. But this was a world that we knew, and we were just and we were very much keyed in with, oh, you know these characters, and if you're a new viewer, these are what these characters are like. This is the world. They didn't give us any pretenses of who people were and what they were doing. Yeah, we had that exact same deal with Robin. I know, blown away, Lauren Lester, episode two, fully-fledged Robin, having banter with Batman, and just being generally awesome, and uh, what I love about this performance is, did you not feel it, that you could almost sense the Nightwing within, even though we got years and years and years of him still being Robin before we ever get to see him as Nightwing on the show. I felt that this isn't the boy wonder anymore. This is the teen wonder. This is a guy who's ready to go off to university, fly the nest, create the Teen Titans, and be his own man. Did you feel that? I could, I could definitely see that. I can definitely see that there's the room for him to immediately go into that progression. He's been in there in that costume and in that position for an unclear length of time, which is fine. We're more than happy to graft onto him. We know who Robin is. We all love Robin. Uh, Dick Grayson's just a very established key and loved character and it's very easy to tell that this is Dick Grayson oh yeah totally the moment that he could have got severely injured and then left to do his own thing that could happen at any real time which is Absolutely. why it's very nice to have shown him at this age at this time 
and working at, at the side of Batman because if we had a newer Robin there would have been some growing pains yes. and that would have been a bit more of a layer of tension that would have put this mm. very light episode at ease oh, but yeah. no this is an established Robin he knows what he's doing he knows what he's all about and that just led to them being able to foil the Joker's plans perfectly and he was cool wasn't he yeah he was he was really cool because you know because you've lived with me your entire life you poor child um, that how much I love this universe of characters to me Batman's cast of supporting characters uh, friends enemies villains is second to none in comics and to have like you said you're spot on to get Alfred and, and James Gordon's roles established so quickly in one episode and then two boom Joker Boom, Robin as well. I think the word you use was ambitious, and it's carrying on right down that path. They're ambitious even within themselves, because let's look actually look at the episode as a whole. They have put in, sure, quite dark stuff in so far as the, the Joker's in charge of a hostage situation, mm. holding the city to ransom, as he does better than probably most other villains in oh, all yeah. DC. That's his shtick, that's his thing. So we're not shying away from the dark side of reality, but he's in a very brightly coloured set, taking the Mickey out of PBS. <laughs> yes, he's not even like even halfway through, just being incredibly self-referencing and meta for the advert break that you yeah. get in all TV shows. And yeah. now, word from our sponsors, and then you get the fade to black into the what would have been the real advert break. Mm-hmm. It was him taking the Mickey out of PBS or any daytime Christmas show, which would have been so nice so you get that I'm Joker I am dangerous I am holding these people in the life or death situation but I've got a smile on my face mm-hmm. because I'm that messed up in the head totally and do you not think as well that the way this show managed to capture a Joker who's dangerous but still have that charm of the 50s 60s Dick Sprang Sheldon Moldoff clown Joker as well I mean Terrifying, but still funny and being a clown prince of crime. He's a criminal. He's a mastermind, but he's also hilarious. It's a hard balance to find. It's a really hard balance to find. And I think it's this very iconic, simple, hard-to-mess-up look that they've been able to put on Mm. of the whole face and the garish yellow teeth. Yeah. But him in the Christmas jumper? (sighs) And flying on a rocket-powered Christmas tree. (laughs) Out of the asylum. That's actually that's actually important that this is actually also the first time we actually see the asylum as well. We didn't see. Yes, you're right. We yes. didn't see any recognisable face amongst the crowd of inmates mm-hmm. yet. I feel that they'll come as long as, as the show goes on. Mm-hmm. But again, that's also interesting that we see the show evolve where Batman meets members of the Rose Gallery. Yes, we do. But the, the aforementioned Two Face from yeah, last week. Yeah, but. The great, his greatest antagonist, the first supervillain he ever intends to, is right there. Established. The From the word go. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it's it's funny as well that we've talked about how established this universe has been from the first scene in the first two episodes, but it's also daring and bringing in brand new characters, because to me... Watching this episode back in the day, I clearly remember thinking, oh, who's that reporter that the Joker's got hostage? That's got to be Vicky Vale, right? But already, 
they're introducing their own universe of characters and having Summer Gleason, who ends up being a big part of the show going on. She's like the face in the crowd, the voice of the reporters, and almost like another audience's way into the show. And what do you think about her early introduction as well? I'll admit this is why I'm really happy to be doing this retro review. I don't quite remember her significance. And that's on that's on me, and I'm more than happy to rediscover the character. That's why we're watching them again. And that's why we're watching them again and bringing our thoughts right back to you. But as for myself, it's very interesting for me personally to be able to see this character grow into herself as all of this chaos unfolds around her. And if she's as instrumental as you're talking about, then her ability to handle it will make her very important in what's to come, which is making me just very excited. And she's also the, the very first of these unique creations of the show. And obviously we know the most famous one of all is Harley. Harley Quinn, who started on this series and is now like a worldwide phenomenon. Um, Poor old Summer wasn't quite that successful. I'm sure she may have been mentioned in an audit single issue here or there, possibly. Possibly. I don't actually recall, but you you may be right. But the other one, and one I'm really looking forward to, and she can't be far away, is my... One of my absolute favourites, uh, the lovely Renee Montoya. She originally came from the show? Yeah. She, she's also very important. I think that Christopher Nolan really missed a trick not naming that, Absolutely. that character her in, after her in The Dark Knight. But, that's, but she was a baddie, though. Not really. She was just a little bit yeah. crooked. Mm. They had, they had flas. Not hard. We've got the crooked copy in Harvey Bullock. And who was glaringly absent from every movie. He was sort of loosely adapted in Tim Burton's first Batman as uh, Lieutenant Eckhart. I don't know why. They, actually, no, because he was a villain. He worked for the mob. But um, I'm really keen, again, from episode one, Harvey. Right now, trusts Batman as far as he can throw him. But we know that over the years, over the episodes, that's going to change. And I'm looking forward to that. Exactly. To see that kind of growth within a character is very important. And it's shows that people can grow within a story something very essential to do especially over a serial like this couldn't agree more my friend and we know that in the first batch of episodes we know there's other Joker stories coming up um, looking at some of the titles we know there's a whole wealth of villains on their way but this episode was a contrast but still carried on a progression of storytelling and a love that we mentioned last week of the source material. These writers, the, the, it was written by Eddie Gorodetsky and directed by Ken Butterworth. And you can tell that they've probably read the story I mentioned. I'm pretty sure it's Happy Death Day, Dear Batman, or Dreadful Birthday, Dear Batman, something like that, um, drawn by Walt Simonson. And the fact that they're drawing from the comics, that makes me happy. Do, do, do you think that's glaring your office as well? You can feel that? You can definitely feel it. And it's the best source material that anyone can really go from. As long as they're willing to respect it as much as they possibly can and put things side by side, but still bringing in everything new so that it's not completely an adaptation, mm. which is definitely what they've done. They've had it set at Christmas. They've had it with different hostages in the in the studio at a given time they've done it with I'm sure the actual incidentals must have been completely different between mm. the observatory the chase between oh, the yeah. train and them in the that was purely done for the animators that's pure cartoon brilliance that is yeah that's one of the things that really sets this episode apart but those incidentals just have them making it their own with making the ball borrowing the premise how did you like the actual overall set pieces of action because we had them on a very 
50s cinema, uh, cine reel, them chasing down a train to stop it from crashing going over a ravine. I always think of really bad westerns whenever that happens for some reason. Then we had the the observatory refitted into a cannon, which I'm sorry they did much better here than they did in Batman and Robin. Oh, hell yeah! But those little action scenes, and even just going back to the Joker's original trickster mm-hmm. iconic side of using killer toys, those kinds of action sequences were cartoonish enough to draw in someone younger, but still had enough tension for just about everyone, I feel. No, couldn't agree more. Um... It's like I said, they're hearkening back to every era of Batman and Joker's history. Because, yes, this Joker is lethal. He's got the killer toys. But that whole thing is so 40s and 50s. And the giant train, which must have like had five floors, that thing. It was like a leviathan pummeling down that track towards the bridge. And all the joke elements which you look may look back as, a, as an older viewer like I am and think... Oh, that's a bit cheesy. But remember, this is entertainment. And this is the show that I watched with you as a kid. I'm sure I watched with my grandchildren. And you may watch with your own children if you, if and when you decide to go down that road. And that's what makes this show brilliant. It's not just aimed at one specific audience. It plays with itself in its own timelessness yeah. because even then the train had very modern carriages but mm-hmm. steel steam yeah. even for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> it, it playing with its own timelessness and the very simple nature of the stories makes the timelessness carry on for those yeah. still wanting to view it. Absolutely. It doesn't lose anything by being now or later and I love that. I don't think anything's done it quite so well since Gotham or anything else really Mm -hmm. do you not feel still that this series it's not that old it's what 92 2002 actually 25 plus years it is old but it feels vintage yet modern because of that timeless feel yeah and I'm struggling to think if there's any other piece of media right now that is still like that Mm-hmm. It's because even with today's television, there's a term I sort of hold in my head of use once television, mm-hmm. like single serving television. That's a lot of procedural cop shows. Yeah, uh, some cops or some good guys go into a place. Something bad's happened. They work through it. Oh, they've had a setback. Oh, they keep working through it. Oh no, it was actually this thing. They find out. Tension ends. Episode ends. While you're in the moment you're really, really rooting for them because you're as confused as they are. And you go along with whatever mystery or whatever bad... whatever mystery they're trying to unfold, whatever bad guy they're trying yeah. to find, whatever. But then once the thing is done and they sort of go out go out and sort it and put the bad guy away, solve the mystery, anything. Sure, us as a viewer could watch it back again, but we wouldn't even be as a quarter of invested because mm-hmm. we've solved the mystery before and we're just watching them go through similar motions. Time for next week's episode. Time for next week's episode. But as with watching this week's episode, the formula relatively stays the same. So we... That's why I personally don't watch procedural cop shows. Mm -hmm. I can see the same sort of procedure going over and over and over. Sure, that is the basic building blocks of storytelling, and that's never, ever really going to change. But I don't feel the procedure going over itself in this show. Mm. 
It's definitely there. I can see it, but I don't mind because they handle themselves well. They handle characters within themselves well. We get Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson going out hoping that there's trouble, not finding it, and then the Joker strikes. It's very easy for them to have seen the Joker put that broadcast up on like a Times Square sort of deal before them going home. But instead they just go home and try to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. Perfect Christmas movie that I've still not seen. <laughs> they... The creative team really respect who they're writing about. Yes. Which is very hard to do. Yeah. And they can very easily get caught up in certain writing traps and writing crutches, but they don't. And that's very difficult. And they've done it very well. You're, you're so right. Because this show is, at its base, a superhero show. It's about a good guy or a set of good guys. They tackle the villain and they defeat the villain. But there's so much more to this. This story, like you said, has got Batman being so damn Batman. Like, no, I've got to go out on patrol. That's my job. That's what I do. And Robin's saying, well, listen, no, man, it's Christmas. Town's going to be quiet. Let's just stay at home and watch a movie. And then you get the scene with the old lady being chased by a teenager and Batman thinks, right, you see, she's going to get mugged. And he was just returning, was it a parcel she dropped or something? Or a yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was one of the Christmas presents. And just little things like that that take so much more care of these characters, showing that this isn't just a show about Batman beating up bad guys. There's much more to it. These are two people who are like father and son who deserve a night off as much as anybody else for Christmas, but one's too stubborn and the other one just won't let him get away with it. And it's little touches like that that elevate. I mean, this is a cartoon that's adding more layers and character than just about any live-action show made before or since. And that's what blows me away about this, this series. The little scene with the, the young guy and the old lady who dropped her Christmas present, mm. that's kind of... you would wasn't a huge thing that just like shakingly sets the tone of the story or the mm. whole pl overall plot but it's another thing like we discussed from episode one that makes the Gotham feel lived in yes and it just shows the way that Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson were sort of like at ends trying to rationalise what the heck they were going to do at Christmas mm -hmm. it all made them feel so lived in that you wouldn't get little moments like that in today's TV. There would be a very clear, we're here, we're doing this thing, oh, something bad's happened, let's go deal with it. You get like a little relief of just like, oh, maybe we are going to have a nice Christmas episode with them. No. But then again, that's fine, because that's what we signed up for with the episode. But just putting it off just like mm -hmm. a minute and a bit into the, into the story just really feels like we're living with the characters. We're not watching them do something. Gotham and its people are important yeah and that's something that so few shows I mean like you said about procedural cop shows there's the threat of the week the villain the bomb the terrorist attack whatever else and apart from the murder victim they have to solve no one else is ever really affected and in this show in two episodes we've had lots of little characters the couple who are sneaking out to have a kiss and a cuddle in the first episode the old lady and the not mugger this one it just elevates and gives it a lovely, rich tone. And that, that that's one of my favourite things about this this series. So, any um, favourite moments, key scenes or things that didn't quite ring true for this week? The overall change in tone 
really just put me at put me at pause, but it didn't really put me away. Uh, that was just something that I really wasn't expecting, but uh, leaving myself some time to sit and digest it and to discuss it would have really freaked me out if I hadn't. So mm. I'm really proud, really happy to have been able to get some time to think that this show is large enough to come at the story from lots of different sides. So it would have been something that would have bothered me if I just watched in isolation, but it's actually very important. And the change in tone and the lighter Christmas side was really welcome. I actually would have been upset with you if you hadn't noticed the big difference because it was huge. Hmm. The differences in tone and lighting and style and everything else between episode one and episode two were massive. But like you said, they worked. They did it for a reason. This is a Christmas episode and you can't really come in with a character like the Joker as a mass murdering psychopath from day one, especially on a Christmas episode. So just very deftly handled and impressive. Very much so. They were able to get someone as dangerous and deadly as the Joker, but frame him in a way that wouldn't be scary for your younger audiences, but still presented enough of a threat to fill yes. 20 minutes of Saturday morning television. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, that that's more or less told the story I think we needed to tell with Christmas with the Joker. So next week we're back again as always until that time um, Adam let us know where people can see your work across the internet and uh, where it is we can find you well my work on the internet is broad far and wide I review many titles on Dark Knight News and I review Supergirl on DC Comics News I write a lot about my true love tabletop games on our website Fantastic Universes and I broadcast some of my own tabletop games on twitch.tv forward slash no ordinary heroes most Tuesdays. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at isitinkerer. I'm a little bit inactive, but that's probably on me. <laughs> and I look forward to hearing what else you lovely people have to say to us about our dear friend the bat. And yes. Where, and what about you, sir? Do leave us comments about this show and all the other shows on the DC Comics News, Dark Knight News podcast network. Uh, which you can catch across every podcast platform. Uh, it's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else you find podcasts. You can catch DC Comics News and Dark Knight News across social media at DC Comics News or at DKNews.com. As for myself, I'm Steve J. Ray. Just Google those words to get links to all my work across DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, where I'm also Editor-in-Chief, or search Fantastic Universes for our website as well. And you can catch us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, um, Instagram, YouTube, at DC Comics News and DKNews.com as well. So, that's another episode of the Batman Animated Series podcast. This has been Adam. And this has been Steve. He is the night. We are the knights. This has been the I Am the Knight podcast. Thank you for listening. And read more comics. I forgot that last week. Read more comics. They are where this all good stuff came from. Thank you for listening. <laughs>